Shabbat Shalom, neighbors. Welcome to Clarkston Community Church. If this is your first time, this is my last time singing the song. Uh, if you missed any of them, we've been doing a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor. It was something that came up all on my own. I didn't use any other creative outlets to get that idea. And the first Sunday, I sang the intro to Mr. Rogers, and I thought, that's enough. We have a set stage that we built. We've made graphics. I sang the song. I'm wearing the sweater. That's got to be enough. And the second Sunday, I didn't sing it. And man, you would have thought that I was Satan incarnate. And then Tony Schaefer preached last week, and he did the song, and so then it kind of boxed me in. So you're welcome. We've been doing this series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it started uh, eight weeks ago with a, a sermon that came out of the story of the Good Samaritan. But the, really, the story wasn't about the Good Samaritan. It was about the expert in the law who was trying to justify his actions. So he said to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus told the story, and it kind of led us to start to talking about, well, who is actually my neighbor? Because the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if one of your objectives is to love the neighbor, it's good to know who the neighbor is. And so we started that a while back, and, and Jesus' response had more to do with the kind of neighbor you were being than it was about who the neighbor was that you were being the neighbor to. And so uh, four weeks ago, I started this series where we started off talking about uh, the least of these and how when Jesus was talking about the end of days, God was welcoming people into heaven and saying, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And essentially saying, well, however you've treated, uh, and he listed the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the, the stranger, the, uh, the prisoner, and... What we talked about on the first week was we all have different least of these. If there's people that um, are in our lives that we would care to just uh, we don't care to have in our lives at all, we don't like to think about them, interact with them. We would prefer they just go away. Um, that's probably your least of these. And so for you, that that least of these may be caring and accounting. Okay, for the for you, it may be a family member who has hurt you and you just can't forgive, and so. They are your least of these. But then there are also marginalized communities that uh, are fair to say that for some of us is our least of these. Then the second week we talked about how if we're going to love our neighbor, it can't be an outside in thing. I can't make myself uh, love my neighbor. I need to be changed from the inside out. And so the second week we talked about taking moments of kadosh. Kadosh is the Hebrew word for holy. And it also is rooted in the word separate or distinct. And we talked about how when we have moments of kadosh, holy moments, we, what we're doing is actually getting a different point of view on our everyday lives. We're seeing people in a different way. We're seeing God's plan in our life in a different way. Essentially, we're looking at our life and the people around us through God's eyes. And when we do that, the way we treat all of our neighbors changes because we see them through God's eyes. And I can tell you the times that we don't love them, the times that we uh, show them disrespect or any, any number of things, it's because we're not seeing them through the eyes of God who created that person in his image. And then last week, Tony Schaefer, did he do a killer job? Yeah, he killed it. Oh, he did. I told him, I, he took a two-minute, uh, he had a two-minute monologue 
about us versus them and, and how historically we've treated them. And I loved it so much. I'm doing the whole, I'm just doing his sermon again today. So from the beginning, no, he just, he did this amazing how we treat them and how it, for generations it's been, have you seen those people and where they live and have you heard about what they eat and how they act and the way that they were, those people. And it's how we, we are very comfortable creating a, a delineating between us and them and making them away. And once we label them, we marginalize them. We don't care as much about them because they're other, right? And so, man, it was great. And so this week, uh, we're going to finish up by a story that happens in Matthew 8. But I first want to uh, give a little context in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, there was a, uh, a nation of people who were enslaved in Egypt, um, the people of Israel. And God rescued them. He pulled them out of slavery and gave them uh, a promised land. And what he said is, in those times, nation would fight against nation constantly. You'd constantly build up your tribe, your nation, whatever it is, and you would try to take down another tribe and gather those resources because you're trying to take care of your own people. And so it was a constant uh, culture of war between nations and tribes. And kings would overthrow other kings. And it was, it was uh, I mean, if you even read in, in the historical part of the Old Testament, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, there is a number of uh, wars between these nations. It was just the way that nations interacted. And so most of them had leaders like kings. They were monarchies. And God set up the people of Israel and he said, we're going to set up a different kind of people because most nations are about themselves. But we are going to be a different kind. In fact, in, in Exodus and Leviticus, he sets up this holy covenant with his new people where he said there's going to be a new way that we live. And if you've been signing up, how many people signed up for the Lent reflections that you've been getting texts like scripture and prayer? That number that you uh, could text to other things, uh, we had people text in the word Lent and you'll get daily reflections of scripture and prayer just to have a reflection time for these 40 days of like, how do I love my neighbor and what does God say about it? And what are some ways that I can uh, be a better neighbor? And so in the, in those scriptures, a lot of them was, uh, were these covenants where God would say, Hey, when you harvest your land, don't harvest the corners and don't go back for the parts you missed. Leave it for the foreigner. Leave it for those who are estranged that are in exile so that they can take care of themselves. And it was just this constant, like welcoming the outside. It was this constant, like, our nation is going to exist to be a blessing to all the other nations. Our nation is going to exist so that all the other nations can see the God that pulled us out of slavery. They can, they, the, the, his intention was that the nation of Israel would point everyone else to God. And what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is uh, after a few generations being removed from uh, being uh, pulled out of slavery and be, being liberated and giving their own land, uh, the nation of Israel finally said, enough is enough. We want a king. Everybody else has a king. We're the only ones that don't have a king. We want to be like all the other nations. This is silly that everybody else has these kings and sometimes the, their kings will lead a revolt against our nation and we're overtaken. And like, We just want to be like every other nation. We want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, that we are building our tribe, that we are gathering resources. We want a king. And Samuel, who was the prophet of the day, was uh, it says that he was uh, 
he, he was saddened. He was heartbroken because the people that were pulled out of slavery just generations before had forgotten where they had come from. They wanted to be just like everybody else, even though God had set them out to be different. And so they finally said, we, we want to get in the way they picked their king. They picked their first king of Israel was Saul and they picked him. No kidding. If you go back in first Samuel chapter nine, they picked him because he was big. They're like, he's tall. Let's let him, let's, he's, he's intimidating. Let's let him be our king. They, they used uh, man's knowledge like everybody else and tried to be like everybody else because they wanted to take care of themselves. And so this story is about thousands and thousands of years ago, but it's also about right now. So many times God calls us to say, I will take care of you if you will be a reflection of me to the world. If you will live open-handedly, if you will love your neighbor in radical ways, if you, you know, whatever it is, if you will live the way that I call you to live, uh, people will see me because of you. And oftentimes we don't meet the bar. We say, no, nah, I'm going to gather. I'm going to get take care of myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm good. Me and my tribe are good. I'm just going to take care of myself. Anybody go to the grocery store or Costco in the last couple of days? Um, my wife went on Friday, I believe someone I'm told had a flatbed, uh, entirely full of toilet paper. I don't know, uh, how much roughage they're planning to eat over the next few days or weeks, but they were stocked up, man. They were stocked up. It's funny how our instinct, our initial pull is to just, we got to make sure I'm, ta- I got to make sure I'm taking care. We'll figure everybody else out after that, but I'm me, me, me. I love this church. I love preaching at this church. If you don't know, if you haven't been, I preach once a month. And I like this church because you all are very affirming. It it feels good for people to go, yeah, all right, nice work. And what I want to say today, when we go into Matthew chapter 8, is I want to challenge you. A lot of times, and I'm not going to call anybody out individually because sometimes you'll say, hey, I liked that sermon because it challenged me. But sometimes people will say, I liked that sermon. And I can tell what they mean is I agree with what you said. And I hope that person over there, heard it. I, I'm I'm on I'm on the same team as you. I hope those other people heard the right. Like I get that, and I, I kind of like. Well, I'm not going to give you a second sermon, but dude, come on, you're right. Uh, and so I'll get a lot of feedback like that. Like, well, nice, you know, I agree. And so today, what I want to challenge you with in the next 15 minutes is to say, I want you to assume today, as you're sitting in this service, that I am preaching directly to you. The sermon today is not for somebody else in the service, somebody else in the sanctuary. This one is for you, okay? We take that on and we go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, I want to give you context. Jesus, and it's funny when we read the stories of Scripture, we read them from the perspective of like we know the end of the story. Like we know that Jesus dies on the cross and carries the sins of the world and then rises from the dead and that the church comes out because he sent the whole... We, we know everything that happened after. We know the, the miracles that he pulls off after the fact. We know all the confrontations he has, the healings that he's done. But it's sometimes I forget when I'm reading that the people experiencing the story that I'm reading don't know the end of the story. They're just experiencing it in the moment. They're experiencing Jesus without knowing what's coming next. And that's interesting to me because it gives new meaning to things that maybe I've never thought of before. In John chapter 8, this is right after Jesus has preached 
the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you don't, aren't familiar with the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount is maybe the most popular sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's so popular that it's three chapters in Matthew. And this is not a day and age where someone can just push record on a, on a tape recorder and take it all down. This is not, there's no, there's no like, um, was it stenographer? Is that, the, is that the right word? In the, in, the, in the courtroom that's writing everything down that he's saying. There's nobody manuscripting what he's saying. It's just that the thing was so powerful that people remembered so much of it. And so what happens is Jesus is born, he's foretold, he grows up. Matthew chapter 4, he goes into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by Satan. God allows him to be tempted by Satan so that way he could, it's kind of like training camp for Jesus, right? He goes out, he, he uh, recites scripture, he rebukes Satan, he's ready to go. And so Matthew chapter 5, the first big moment of Jesus. People have heard of this guy. That's the extent of what they know about Jesus. They've heard of a guy. There's a guy who was born in Bethlehem. Uh, he, he sounds like he's interesting. Let's go check this guy out. His first, his coming out party is the Sermon on the Mount. His moment to shine is when he stands up on the mountainside and thousands of people below him are listening attentively. And he preaches a sermon that is so revolutionary that people can remember a specific part. Then people are leaving going, man, part of the sermon, he does this thing. Uh, I think people should start calling it the B-attitude. But he just kept saying all the ways that people are blessed. But the people who are blessed are not blessed for the reasons you would think. It was like this counterintuitive thing that he was doing. And then Jesus would do this thing where he would take the law that we know and we know well, and he would say, you have heard it said this, but then he would say a thing on top of it that was like an extension of it. We've never heard anything like this. We always thought that the law was static and set and we have to either obey it or not obey it. But there was like more to it that he was adding. It was like footnotes. It was crazy. I've never heard anybody speak like this. And then he teaches us to pray. And like, we have ways that we worship that we've always worshiped for generations that David taught us that Moses taught us, but he gave us this new way to pray and it kind of laid out differently. And I can, I can even say for you now, our, our father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name and on and on and on. Right? And, and people are, are referencing these things. And by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has gone viral. By the end of the Sermon on the Mount, People uh, in droves have been added to his following. He is now a cult-like figure uh, there in Israel. People are ready to follow this new rabbi because he's like, he's got this new way of talking about things. And the disciples, the disciples who he called initially that were following him are like, we got in on the ground floor on this one, man. If this is multi-level marketing, we got a pyramid, a ton of people underneath us. This is is great. And like, they're already imagining like, this guy's going to become like, the king. He's going to be the guy. And like, then they're, you know, maybe I'm going to be secretary of state. Maybe I'm uh, secretary of defense. Maybe I'm vice president. You know, like they're, they're, they're ordering themselves ready. Like this is a big moment for them too. This is the coming out party for Jesus. And he goes for three chapters. At the end of the three chapters, he comes down the mountainside. And this is where we find this story. In chapter eight of Matthew, it says this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Yeah, that's what happened. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let me pause for one second. There was an outbreak in, the, uh, in those times of a skin disease known as leprosy. We know that 2,000 years later, leprosy uh, wasn't what they thought was leprosy. All of it wasn't, but there is still leprosy. And um, they didn't know how to treat it. Healthcare wasn't uh, the most advanced in those days. 
Um, if, if you ever if you ever want to read a bummer of a, a book, there's a book called The Emperor of All Maladies, which is an oral history of cancer. And it talked about how cancer uh, was treated as far back as like before the times of Jesus, even to the 1800s, and all the misnomers and, and misunderstandings of what cancer was. And like just the health commu- healthcare community, we've come a long way. Let's just say that, right? And so uh, they, because they didn't know what to do with this leprosy thing, they were afraid that everybody would catch it. And so they sent the people away. If you got leprosy, you were sent out of the community. You were quarantined. You were far, far away. Never to be seen again. I don't want, I don't want you breathing on me. I don't want you touching me. Because if you do, I might get the same thing. And like then I'm, my arm might get deformed. And I don't know how to get rid of it. And some people who had leprosy never got rid of it. And so they were just ostracized, never to be seen again, because people were afraid of the disease that they did not understand. Nothing like today. Nothing like what's going on right now, right? They were, they were afraid. So they, they ostracized. Come on, people. So they, they sent them out of the community. But to them, if they stopped, you know, if my friend Chris had leprosy, he stopped being Chris and started being the leper. You catching that? If someone was sent out of the community, it stops being Greg. Now it's that guy who has leprosy. Whatever happened to that guy? Because there's no human interaction. They were ostracized. They, people were afraid of them. And the other thing about it, too, is that in Jewish law, if you were a, a rabbi, if you were a teacher, if you helped lead worship, if you were to have any type of skin disease or something, like you were seen as unclean, which meant that you couldn't lead worship. You had to be removed from your position. And so anybody who wanted to be in that position would stay away. It's like in the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the reason the priest, we would think, would come around and, and not help the guy who was hurt is because the guy was, uh, in theory, he's bleeding and he doesn't want to get someone else's blood on him because he knows he has to lead worship. He makes a determination. Hey, I don't want to be unclean. And so Jesus builds up this huge following. People, He's gone viral. He's added to his followers. Everybody's ready to follow him down the mountainside and see what's next for this guy who could be the king of Israel. And as he comes down in from uh, from out of nowhere comes this leper who has heard that maybe there's this guy who can help him. He's desperate. And this leper approaches. Now, if you're a disciple and you see a leper approaching your meal ticket, right? You're, I'm going to steer him. Jesus, let's take a left here. I think I saw a great taqueria down the street, right? Or what it, uh, whatever it is, I'm going to keep, keep Jesus away from this guy. Or God, Jesus, you, I know you got more to say. Let's go back to the top of the mountain. You know, whatever it is, let's keep Jesus away. And Jesus was undeterred. In fact, I, my gut is that Jesus probably knew this leper was coming and he knew that there was going to be a holy moment there, a moment of kadosh in the middle of all of this. And so his followers are following down the mountainside. Here comes this leper. There is a coming together and the leper comes to Jesus and says, uh, if, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse number three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm going to let that hang there. He reached out and he touched him. If you're the disciples, you're thinking, what are you doing? You, you worked so hard for this. You have all these people ready to follow you and do what you say. We are ready to form a new kind of kingdom in Israel. This is our moment. This is our time. 
You just ruined it. What are you doing? How could you touch that guy? How could you make contact with them? How? Why would you do that? If you're one of the new followers, you're like, okay, I thought I was in on this. That guy's weird. I was, I was in on the sermon. I was in on the prayers and the Beatitudes and the, you have heard it said this, but I, all right, I was ready to go, but all right, that's a bridge too far. Send him away with the rest of those that were said. You could see how people's thoughts were coming together. But Jesus touches him and he says, I am willing be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I want to come back to that last part in a second, but I want to break down what Jesus just did. He has finally become popular. He finally has influence. He has come. He has spoken. People are ready to follow. And at the height of his current popularity at the height of his po uh, current influence he goes to the ostracized and he becomes a voice for this man that has no voice he speaks up at the height of his influence for the person that has no power he's powerless he's cast away he's to be forgotten and left for dead and he jesus speaks up for him and when we read about the greatest commandment being love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes loving your neighbor means being their voice when they don't have a voice, speaking up for them when they're powerless because they're valued in the eyes of God. Because I've pulled away, I've had moments of kadosh, and seen them the way that God sees them. And so I am going to stand up for this person or these people. I am going to be the person that's going to have influence for them. Maybe this week you sat in a car and somebody's name came up at the car, in the car. And people started to pile on about their faults, about what, what's wrong with that person. And maybe you joined in. Maybe you had a, a meeting at work and someone was out sick and they've been a pain in your patoot. And so at your work meeting, you unload on that person. Maybe you've had conversations where there are moments where you could speak up for and defend someone and say, hey, that's not, far, not fair. This person is valuable. Let's treat them. Let's love them. You had an opportunity to be a voice for someone who didn't have a voice in that conversation? Did you use it? There are times where groups of people are talked about. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's on your social media where there's a back and forth about those people. And someone is tearing into their reputations, bringing them down. Are you the one that speaks up and says, no, that's not okay, guys. We love that person. We love those people. Do you disagree with them? Sure, but I love them, and we're not going to talk about them that way. Are there times for the least of these in your life where you are a voice for them? Because when I read this story of Jesus, he could have gone any direction. He was on top of the mountain. 
all it was all fair game. And he went straight for the guy who had no voice. He went straight for the guy who had no power. And in front of all of his new followers, in front of all of the people that he now has influence over, he put his hand, he touched him. He touched the man who hadn't been touched in years. If he's been if he's been thrown out of the community for having leprosy, chances are no one's touching him. He's untouchable. And Jesus touches him in front of all the other people. As if to say, you're listening to me now? This guy has value. This guy I love. Are there people in your life, are there times in your life where you need to be the voice and use your influence? Maybe you only have influence over a couple people in your life. Maybe you have influence over hundreds or thousands. But however many people are listening to you, are you using that voice to love your neighbor? Because that's what I see Jesus doing. Loving your neighbor is loving them out loud. Now, the last part I want to catch, because this this is good stuff. And, and we're at the last sermon series, or sermon of the sermon series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And when we hit this scripture, we're sitting talking with our preaching team, and I'm like, this is where we, this is the great cap, capper. The last verse of it. Then Jesus said, see that you don't tell anyone. If you're someone who reads scripture regularly, this is something Jesus says more than once to people, which blows my mind. Jesus heals incredible maladies. Jesus raised people from the dead. And a lot of times he'll say, I don't tell anybody that. Like, what? Are you kidding me? I've had this thing for three years. It has ruined my life. And you heal me. And I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to not talk about it. This is the most incredible encounter I've ever experienced. And I got to shut up about it. I, are you crazy, man? Like, come on. Like, look what just happened. I was estranged. I had an arm that was falling off from leprosy and you made me whole again. I can go back to my family. I can go back to my work. I get to be part of the community again. I'm, I have value again. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Here's the follow-up. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Don't tell anybody. Show them. Don't say it. Do it. When God calls us to love our neighbor, don't say you love your neighbor. Do something with it. Love is an action. We've identified over the last four weeks who the least of these are. Now it's time to do something about it. Small and large ways. Like Jesus, are you being a voice for the powerless, but are there things you can do to love your neighbor. I used the story two weeks ago. Tony echoed it last week. I'll say it again. There was a man uh, who works with the homeless who said, everything changed for me when I went from wanting to help the homeless to loving the homeless. And that difference, I was like, whoa, that's truth in a nutshell. Wanting to help means here, here, here's this handout I got for you. Love, I jump in front of a bullet for love. I do whatever it takes for love. I, I go to the ends of the earth for love. The people in my, in my life that I say out loud I love, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they have uh, what they need and, and know that they are loved. Love changes things. Love is radical. So when it's, it's, we, we gloss over it when God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
a lot of times it hit, hit, by the time that thing hits our ears, we're like, be good to our neighbors. Be civil to your neighbors. But what's radical is love your neighbors. And Jesus, every time he impacts you, if he's, if he's changing your heart because you're having moments of kadosh, if you're getting separation and he's starting to move in you in a way that you like, you're like, I have to do something to help this person, Karen in accounting, my family member that has been estranged, whoever the least of these is, this uh, marginalized community that has almost nothing. I have to do something for this person or these people. Once he moves that, he says, don't tell people. Show them that I've made an impact in your life. Show them. Don't say it. Do it. 